This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And today we're going to have... Former big leaguer, played 12 years in the bigs, now 11 years as an analyst on MLB Network and out with a new book. Billy Ripken is going to join us. Also, the longtime voice of the San Diego Padres as the Athletics were taking on the Friars. Ted Leitner joined us, a guy that has known Billy Bean for a long, long time. And he'll say some very interesting things about Billy. Will Leach from MLB.com had a really fun article about the best giveaways for each team this year. And then Martin Gallegos, who covers the Athletics for MLB.com, will join us to talk a little shop. But we're going to lead it off with Bill Ripken. I have a lot of respect for him. He's a terrific analyst and has a new book out where we're talking about old school meeting the new school. Here's Billy Ripken. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, you see him on MLB Network as an analyst, and he has a new book out. Bill Ripken, State of Play, the old school guide to new school baseball, of course, played in the big leagues for years. Bill, how are we doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, it's the start of spring training, and, you know, after winning 97 games two straight years, the Oakland Athletics no longer are young. Their core has been in the playoffs two straight years, and I do believe you you can learn from defeat, and there's a lot of confidence. They got a ton of pitching, starting pitching, defense, which I know you care a lot about. I, I, I think we should be excited with the Oakland Athletics in 2020. Yeah, I don't see any reason not to be excited. Um the Oakland A's are a team that I think I talk a little bit about in the book in, in the regards of sometimes without as much talent, they seem to have the parts add up to something greater than what you would think it would be. And I think some ways that is a pure definition of team. You talked about the confidence that they play in. Um, I think that's ever evident in the fact that they come back in games, win late in games. So there's a confidence that goes with that, that really can't be, I I don't think, taught. It's almost, you know, learned to a degree through experience when they go through things. So some teams lose close games. I usually say, well, they're just good enough to lose. And then some teams that win the close games, I say, okay, they're better than the teams they just played. 
You know, I think about your book and watching you on MLB Network to where, you know, you have guys that are former players who, you know, believe, as you just said, a team and a team coming together can't always be an analytic to explain it to where you have other guys who are just all about analytics. Why did you feel you needed to write this book? Well, I think over the past two years, more and more conversations swirled around the new school being in charge and the term analytic just gets used through the roof. And I just wanted to point out first and foremost that us crusty old baseball guys have always used numbers. We've always used information. We've always come up with a plan to go play. We just don't go out there and fly by the seat of our pants and do our gut instincts as everybody seems to think that's what old school is. So one, I wanted to make sure if people had forgotten or if they were misinformed, but old school guys have always used numbers and information in baseball. Yeah, and I think about you coming from one of the great baseball families of all time. I mean, your father, his entire life being in baseball, and as a teacher, you and your brother have done so many different clinics and teaching. I mean, there's a there's a right way to play baseball, and I don't need a number to tell me that. Right, and I sit here, when you talk about him, one of the – things that resonates in my mind and always has is he always said, you hit it, you catch it, you pitch it better than the other team and you win. And I believe that holds true in today's game. It, it's not so much different when I watch the game. If I went to a game and just watched the game, yeah, there might be a few more overshifts played. Yes. This, there might be something called an opener every now and then. Uh, yes, the starting pitcher may not go as long, but the way you win the game is you hit it, pitch it, catch it better than the other team. And that holds true now. It held true in 1990, 1970, 1950. You know, when I think about the use of analytics, and, and I like to talk to a lot of front office people about this, because every player is different. And I think we're seeing younger players coming up who have utilized it more so so they like it more. But really, isn't it a case-by-case basis and how each guy is going to be able to take it in and use it for their own game? It should be. And let's just say I'm the old school manager and you're my um, new school GM. So let's have a relationship where you're outside of the box thinking. You bring me some nuggets down to my inside the box thinking office in the clubhouse. And I'll say, okay, thank you. Now let me go through this and look at it. If I accept one out of 10 and send nine back, I should not be viewed as a crusty, unwilling, rigid, unable to conform to the new school thinking. I'm just merely looking at all the numbers given to me and then using my experience as a baseball guy to determine what works and what doesn't. And I think there needs to be that give and take that goes on. Both sides have to realize what the other side can do that that side can't do. Bill Ripken, State of Play, the old school guide to new school baseball here on A's Cast Live. Going back to your playing days, how do you think you would have used analytics and how would have analytics helped you? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm always game for information. I, I want the knowledge. So if someone can give me more assurance of, okay, this guy hits the ball in this particular case, but I think in some ways now in the defensive alignments in the overshift, 
they they don't take into account certain things that go on. You might have a vast bunch of knowledge that you're going with, but your starting staff might be completely different than somebody else's. So uh, I would use it with a grain of salt. I would use it and say, yes, this makes sense to me, but you can't give up the ship or sell the farm in certain cases, especially when I see some men on base. When it comes to defensive positioning, I think we put ourselves way out of line, and sometimes we give up that cheap ground ball that finds a, a vacant spot with a man on third and two outs. That doesn't roll well with me. That's something that I ask pitchers now, and I ask pitchers who are now broadcasters that come to town, because you know what you want to throw. You know what you want to do to get people out. You know what your strength is. You know what their weakness is. But yet the shift may not play to that. So do you pitch to the shift or do you just pitch to, hey, this is what my best stuff, this is how I get people out? And you'd be surprised of all the different answers you get. Well, you get a bunch of them. And I think defensive positioning doesn't take into consideration who's pitching and what the count is and what the situation is with men on base. It's a blanket this is where they hit it. So I have a full chapter on the overshifts in the book. And what I found using numbers, because once again, I like numbers, but the overshift was used really the first full year that it kind of took the world by storm was 2012. And there was about 4,000 overshifts league-wide. Last year, there was about 40,000 overshifts, so tenfold on 2012. But to use a new school term, BABIP, batting average on balls put in play, the batting average on balls put in play back in 2012 and 2019 are virtually identical. So even if we are taking 40 points away from some said big left-handed power hitter, we're giving two points to 20 other people because the league-wide BABIP says that. In fact, to take it a little bit further, Anthony Rizzo, Cody Bellinger actually have higher averages when the overshifts played against them than when they do normally. So those guys would probably wish you overshift against them all, all the time because their career average is higher in those particular cases when they, when they overshift against them. So I'm not saying that it doesn't work at certain times, but I am saying if it takes something away from somebody – you're guaranteed because the numbers say so, you're going to give it back to somebody else somewhere later. You know, you, you, you mentioned some of the guys in our game right now. There is so much young, great talent in the game of baseball. It's one of the things about watching you guys, MLB, uh, MLB Network, watching all the highlights and watching you guys go to games. It's just the, the, I wish more people knew about it because the athleticism and the talent that we have at such young ages is just incredible right now. Uh, the talent's pretty amazing. I don't think there's question. When you start saying somebody's name and they say, oh, he's 19, oh, he's 20, um, these are in kind of uh, the areas of very, very select few in the history of the game. And I don't know if this is a fact, but it seems like we've been saying 19 and 20 a lot more than we have in the recent years. So when you're putting those numbers, those ages next to players, and Acuna Jr. pops to mind and you think, okay, well, there's a 30-30 guy um, as a teenager or as a 20-year-old. When you're starting to say those things, the game is not that easy. 
And yet some of these gifted players that are coming in today's game certainly make it look that way. You know, the biggest story in the offseason, you know, a lot of cash thrown around, which was good to see for the players, but also the Astros situation. And you know, that, that affects the athletics directly. The athletics have admitted they were one of the early teams to complain to Major League Baseball about the sign stealing. You know, you win 97 games two straight years, Bill, and you only get in the wild card game. It kind of bugs you. Uh, looking at how, how do you think this is going to play out for the Houston Astros? They've got a ton of talent, but yet it's going to be utter chaos everywhere they go. And the way they've handled it recently hasn't been good. They really haven't owned it the way they should have. How do you see the season going for the 2020 Astros? Well, first of all, everything you described, I agree with. Um, first, the optics of what they did and how they did it um, is something we've never seen. And then on top of that is how they seem to have handled the situation. I think they're going to have to realize, and they cannot get chippy with the media when they ask them a question the first week of the season, second week of the season, third week of the season. But what they've done is they've opened the door for some people that are going to be not Astro apologists. If one Astro player gets out of the gate 0 for 15, somebody's going to say, well, he doesn't know what's coming. He can't hit. If one Astro gets out of the gate 10 for 15, someone's going to say they found new ways to cheat. And that's just, I believe, human nature, and I believe it's the way it's going to be. And when they go to these ballparks over and over again, this is not two months, three months because I think people have been speaking very loud and clear, they're going to have to handle a bit of um, uh, animosity that I don't think that they're necessarily prepared for, because when they hit some of these parks, it's going to be loud and it's going to be often. So if these guys do play well through this kind of stuff, um, they're going to have some sort of concentration on their side. Yeah, their first uh, road trip, you go to Anaheim, then Oakland. There's going to be a lot of boo birds and a lot of people. I can tell you this. I was down at the AT&T down at Pebble Beach, and I followed, Ver <laughs> I, I, I followed Verlander for two holes, and you heard from the crowd at Pebble Beach, cheater. So if you're getting ragged at Pebble Beach, what's it going to be like at a ballpark? I actually heard somebody was at Pebble Beach, and, and when Verlander was teeing off, they were banging a trash can. <laughs> so um, I, I would imagine that creative things as that will certainly happen in every place. But you're right. If you're going to a golf course where etiquette seems to be uh, very high on the list and people are willing to, to forfeit that, people are hacked over the situation for sure. The book is State of Play, The Old School Guide to New School Baseball. And good news for you, I'm on Amazon right now. There's only one left in stock, and they say there's more on the way. So the book is doing well. Hey, you're one of my favorites on the network. I love watching you all the time. I'm a big fan and hope to have you on later on during the season. Well, I tell you what, I appreciate that. And just to mention the network, because what this book has been a resting place for is almost every segment or every conversation that I've had over the past 10 years going into year 11 seemed to have found its way in, into one resting spot into this book. So if, if, you, if you watch us at all up there at the network and you like anything that I've said, um, this book kind of has been the resting place for some of those ideas and segments. God, 11 years? This is the 11th year, yep. Wow. Did you have any idea you'd become this TV guy back in the day when you were playing? Um, no, but my brother did always tell me I had the gift of gab and <laughs> the fact that, um, I believe I took some pretty good stuff from my father over the years when it comes to 
being able to kind of break down something in the game. So combining that with maybe the gift of Gab, uh, I think I don't think anybody's surprised. I don't think Junior's surprised, shall I say. I think that he always knew that something like this might happen for me. Bill, great stuff. Continued success, and we'll talk to you later on down the line. All right, just send the invite. Thanks for your time. Yeah, just got the book, and I'm really looking forward to reading it as I'm heading down to spring training. Bill Ripken does a great job on the MLB Network. Our next guest here on A's Unfiltered is a San Diego legend. I grew up watching him on television. He's the longtime voice of the San Diego Padres. He's done the Chargers, did the Clippers. He also does the San Diego State Aztecs. And as I said, a guy that's known Billy Bean a long, long time. As we were getting you ready for the Padres and the A's, here's the voice of the Friars, Ted Leitner. Our next guest is somebody I've been watching basically my entire life. He's a legend in San Diego, was a broadcaster for the Padres, whether it was the Chargers, San Diego State, KFMB TV back in the day. As I grew up in San Diego, everybody knows Ted Leitner. He's an absolute legend, and it's an honor to have him here on A's Cast Live. Ted, how are you this evening? <laughs> Great. Just one of the great introductions of all time. I thought I died. It was a eulogy. That was wonderful. Are you kidding me? Me growing up listening to you and Jerry Coleman? I mean, come on. That was uh, Padres baseball. You know, it really it's amazing to me, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but having been like that myself as a kid in New York and, and listening to, to Mel Allen and Red Barber, it, 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 they were the voices of, of my summer, and I can't help but hear their voice now on, on a clip and, and not think of walking along the beach, and, and you could go blank back then, the transistor radio days, you could walk around on the beach, blanket to blanket, and you'd pick up Mel Allen's voice in the Yankee game as you walked along the beach with all those radios, and, it, and I know that Jerry Coleman was that voice, and I was lucky to be around uh, for the, to take the ride with him. For, for San Diegans, it's, uh, it's, not, it's like unlike any other sport, as you know. It's just wonderful. It's still radio's a great uh, baseball, so great radio sport. Yeah, the Colonel was a special man, you know, whether it's uh, Ford C. Frick oh. or, or the Marine Hall of Fame. And I think about what we have up here, the great Bill King. He's one of the, you know, a guy to be able to do football, basketball, and baseball as great oh, as yeah. he was. And then now, you know, I always call our – our Ken Korak, the voice of summer. So all the kids growing up here in the Bay Area, especially the East Bay, Ken Korak is their guy. He is our voice of summer. There's no question. And I, and I love Ken. Ken he has some San Diego, spent some time at San Diego State, and I think he's terrific. And Bill King, I don't know, based on all of us who do football, basketball, baseball, etc., and I've never done hockey, I don't know there's been anybody better who did them all than Bill. With, with, with flair and not just the ball one, ball two, uh, cookie-cutter kind of style that's so prevalent now. But, uh, I mean, I told Bill one time up in Oakland that, uh, hey, it's, it's an honor to be in the same business and, and to be with a guy like that. And I traveled to Kenberg when Dick did the Padres for the last five years of his life. And, and that was just that, that, that kind of guy, so dominant and so great in everything they do. It's just there are very few of those left, very few, even on the networks. And, uh, yeah, Bill King was, was dried up there. You mentioned Jerry Coleman in the, in the Marine Corps Hall of Fame. That was a stop we made on the way to Cooperstown when he was put in with the Ford Trick Award in, in the broadcast wing. And we're waiting for this dinner, and the commandant of the entire Marine Corps walks in, looks at Jerry to his left, and makes a beeline, not to the head table, but right to Jerry because he knew him because Jerry meant so much to the Marine Corps, having been you know, the only baseball player that left baseball twice to fight 
for the Marines, both in uh, World War II and then Korea, and it made me so feel so great, so honored to even know the guy that was so important to the country. And uh, most people don't know that, but he was just absolutely the greatest man, a mentor, a, a second father, a brother. And I got 35 years with him in the broadcast booth after I watched him play second base for the Yankees when I was a kid back there. Just pinch me. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I think about the Diamondbacks. I think about the Padres. Dodgers have won the division seven straight years. Padres are spending money. Do you think they have enough to track down the Dodgers? I don't, but it doesn't matter. That wild card means a whole bunch to a lot of teams that stay in it all summer and are able to, to, to be right there for a chance to be in the postseason. However, if you get in there, you know what I mean? Washington got in there, and they went all the way, and Cleveland did it once and so forth and so on. So it can be done, and, and fans know that. And it's legitimate. And so the Dodgers have tremendous talent and, and, quite frankly, tremendous young talent, and that's what the Padres have. Now, who in the long term, if the Padres eventually catch them, it would not surprise me. But I think for this year, with question marks, more question marks for the Padres and the Dodgers, the Dodgers have to be heavy, prohibitive favorites, more, more than anybody in any division. But this Padre team, this is my 41st year. They not only have the best ownership that spends a ton, a ton, but drafting and developing with A.J. Preller, with Logan White, who was with the Dodgers, who brought in Kershaw and Kemp and all those guys. Logan's brilliant. Their staff is brilliant. And I think right now they're on the precipice, whether it's this year or 2021, that they're going to be steady and consistent contenders for the next decade. You know, I know Manny Machado is the big name and just signed the big contract, but when you look mm -hmm. at the highlights, Fernando Tatis Jr., what's it like to watch him on an everyday basis? I don't know who to compare him to because, you know, Ozzie Smith was acrobatic and didn't have a lot of range. Ozzie's range was based a lot on diving. But in terms of an athlete, which Ozzie certainly was, Fernando's beyond that. I don't know of a ball player who had so much hype and so much awareness on social media for Padre fans and before that White Sox fans who could come in with all that, oh, he's this, he's great, he's added 20 pounds, he's unbelievable, and to outplay the scouting report, to outplay the hype on, on network and social media, I've never seen anybody do that. Fernando Tatis Jr. does that, and I don't know that he's not the best. I mean, in, in terms of young players, and I think really uh, Alonso had an amazing year with the bat, and, and people love the home runs. But I, I wonder if Fernando had the entire year and didn't miss all those games, how close that voting would have been. Tatis is unlike any Padre player since Robbie Alomar, and he is much more athletic and spectacular and fast and quicker than Robbie. That's saying something. Oh, yeah, the Hall of Famer. And, and, and you've been in the game a long time. Is it just amazing all the great young talent that's in the National League and the American League? These kids are so young, and they, they, don't like, they, they just don't come up ready to help out. They're coming up ready to dominate. Yeah, exactly. Impact players. No, to answer your question, there's no way. I've never seen anything like it. It's absolutely unbelievable. And, and the talent, not to mention from the pitching standpoint, the arms, the velocity. Who's seen this never in our lifetime where guys are throwing the 99, 102, and every staff has got two or three relievers that do that, if not a starter, but more so relievers. It's absolutely mind-boggling. You've got to go through, and even with the Padres, you've got guys, Munoz and the rest of them, Michelle Baez and the international signings that A.J. Pro has had, guys who were throwing 97, 98, 100, 
before you even get to the closer. I'm sorry. That's never, ever been the case in the history of baseball. And, and, and Jerry Coleman used to tell me that when he was in his 80s and we were working together. And, of course, he played and was an all-star himself. And he said, hey, don't, don't give me this. Everything was better back then. These players are bigger, stronger, faster. They may not you know, be in the, into baseball as their life as we were, but we were making you know, $5,000. We, we had to do this. It was everything. But he said, don't tell me that, that these players aren't the greatest of all time. And no, no, they're not Willie Mays. And no, they're not Jamacho that I played with, Jerry would say. But in else and sports medicine, they're way beyond my generation, he said. And then you think about a late pickup in Emilio Pagan, former athletic. You get him from the Rays to go with Kirby <laughs> Yates. All of a sudden, you got an interesting dynamic down in that bullpen. It's unbelievable. They pick up Drew Pomerantz, who was so great late in the season. He used to start for us before he went to Boston. Now they add Pomerantz. And, and like you said, here, here's Pagan picked up. Another guy's throwing 99-100. And we've already got Andres Munoz from Mexico, who went at over 102 last year. And not just, you know, wild, early, big unit type of work. Like early on, couldn't throw strikes. These kids can throw it 102, and they've got command and a wicked slider to go along with it. No, this is the greatest uh, uh, amount of talent overall, and pitching specifically, that I've ever seen in my 41 years in baseball. It's absolutely an amazingly wonderful time. That's why That's why the whole Astro thing and all this other stuff in the offseason is so so bad on so many different layers. You know, that you, you keep revealing more layers of this onion, and that's what the people have talked about instead of the fact that, oh, my God, you know, Mike Trout and now you know, other guys that are Trout-like are coming into Major League Baseball and all these changes they're talking about, and instead we're talking about you know stealing signs. That's, that's really, for somebody like us that's in the game, that's a shame. It's really a shame. Well, Ted, it's really tough to swallow as the Oakland A's have won 97 games two straight years, and it only gets right. you in the wild card game. That, that We've never seen stuff like that. No, no, and, and, and there is no statement. There's no spin control. There's nothing. I did a broadcast an hour ago with the Padres in, in the spring training here against Kansas City. And my partner and I, Jesse Hagler, the steroid guys so much because they bastardize the game. They skew the ratings and all that. But I said, Jesse, when I think about this and all the ramifications of what this means, it's not just one big bopper, you know, a, a whoever at, at the plate who suddenly goes from 30 to 60 home runs. This is an entire team. This is like having an entire lineup of hitters on steroids, but instead they're cheating and they know what's coming. And when Aaron Judge said, hey, no impact, if I could, somebody tells me what's coming, I'm going to have 80 home runs a year. So to go inside the game like that and change the game, the A's have been screwed, the Yankees have been screwed, the rest of them, this has more layers than any scandal, I believe, beyond steroids, beyond cocaine in the history of baseball. It is out. Outrageous. No doubt. And when you think about the A's, when you look afar at the green and gold and under Billy Bean basically making it to the postseason almost half the times he's been in charge, you know, he's a Mount Miguel high school guy. I, you know, sure. when, when, when I think about when, when, when I think about what the A's have done for all these years, what do you think about Oakland when you've looked afar? I, I think of Billy first, by the way, because I've known Billy for a long time. And then he also like. <laughs> I watched me when he was a kid. That makes you feel really young. Watched me on television doing the sports when he was a kid. And uh, one of my favorite moments, we had a convention of, uh, of uh, uh, 
construction equipment sellers and, and manufacturers in, in Petco Park. And they, they put all these giant caterpillars and dump trucks and all this all over the field. And, and the guest speaker was Billy, and I was the master of ceremonies. So I asked, how does Billy want me to introduce him? And he says he doesn't. Oh, I said, well, who's going to introduce him? Nobody. They're just going to play a clip of Brad Pitt as him from Moneyball, and then Billy will walk on. And I said, well, la-dee-da. <laughs> <laughs> That's how big a star he is. And I mentioned then as the MC, and I'll say it now, one of the most brilliant baseball people of all time. I mean, this is the modern-day Branch Rickey in terms of what he's done and how he's changed the game and so forth. And uh, he, to me, is a future Hall of Famer based on his impact of the game, the way he's done it, and, and the, the money he's done it with. Absolutely amazing. And, and, and I always believe that if, if there's a way to, to get the next, whatever's next, after you know, Moneyball and the analytics and all that, whatever the next stage is, Billy will be there either before everybody or one of two guys who will be putting it in. And the, the A's are a very interesting club. I just had a great stadium for the last you know, 20 years. From that, God knows what they would have been accomplishing. Ted, an absolute honor to have you on my program. I appreciate it. Have a good call tomorrow, Padres and A's, and we'll talk to you later in the season. I appreciate that very much, guys. Thank you. Wow, those are some big praise for Billy Bean, the modern-day Branch Ricky. How about that? Giveaways are a lot of fun, and we're going to get into a little MLB and Astros and all the different things going on in baseball, but we're going to also get into the best giveaways for each team with Will Leach from MLB.com. Will, welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me as always. We're getting a little bit closer. I can't wait. Baseball is actually happening. We're almost there, man. Yeah, we're now talking about baseball. I know the Astros are still going to be a story and everything, and another guy, a former player, comes out. I'll just get this over with. You know, whenever I hear someone who played in the steroid era and I hear somebody who who who, who tested positive – uh, you know, and they start coming out with this holier than thou, like it's the club. Wait, wait, you played in an era where people are cheating. You didn't say anything, and then now you're coming after a guy who I I think, and I'm just not saying this because Mike Fires is our guy. If he played for another team, I'd say I we're going to look back on Mike Fires years from now, saying, you know, thank God because as Bob Bob Melvin said, this needed to stop, and if it didn't stop, where would this thing keep going? Yeah, to me, you know, I I find it telling, and I think in a positive way. Remember in the first couple of weeks of this scandal, the fires, like the whole thing was like, wow, they're going to be th- like Mike Fires. Everyone's going to hate him. Remember David Freese even like came out and tweeted saying maybe it's worse that this guy said this than the scandal's going on. It's worth knowing that no one's saying that anymore, <laughs> though it is worth, though, though it is worth knowing. I suspect there are people in baseball that, that still feel that way. I just think that there's a, there, there'd be a backlash for people, I think, that went after Fires uh, too much now. Uh, I agree with you. I feel like, you know, uh, I, my general thought about this scandal, it is, a, it is a big deal in that they were doing something they should not have done, and they have been punished. And maybe, you know, maybe some punishments, should, we, they should have been punishing players more, and maybe there's more to hit people. But, boy, like right at this point, it feels like unless the, unless the Astros players go out and commit harikari in front of everyone, uh, no one's going to be satisfied. So, I, uh, to me, Fires, I think he's going to go down in a really positive place here, and I think for good reason. You know? And I think that uh, and particularly there is going to be such backlash if something happens to him in any game this year that I think it's going to really disincentivize anyone to do anything other than to kind of support what he did. All right, let's get to some baseball here. As you guys ranked 
1 through 30, the teams you think can win the World Series. You had the A's eighth. So where do you, when you look at, do you say the top 10, the top 12? How many teams do you think realistically have a chance before the season starts to win the World Series? You know, I think you're really looking at, you know, the way baseball is, and I know this has changed a little bit in recent years, but I still, all you're trying to do is just get a ticket to be able to get in the tournament. Once you're in, you've got a chance. I mean, look at Washington last year. I think it's, got, it's forgotten a little bit because Washington was so good the second half. They were down to a not very good Milwaukee team halfway through their wild card game. I mean, that could have ended right there. So it really kind of had a mistake by Trent Grisham that really uh, allowed them to win that game. So uh, I, I, if you get in, you've got a shot. Um, to me, I feel like there's, there's certain tiers. I generally think there's a tier of four at the very top, which is you said the Yankees, the Dodgers. Yes, still the Astros, <laughs> and then maybe the Twins, just because those four teams, I think, I think are clear favorites uh, in their in their division. Uh, but I think that when you when you're looking at teams that are the best at teams in a division where there is a clear favorite, I think the A's are clearly right there. Uh, the A's and Rays, I think, are the best examples of those. Uh, the Rays are in that tier. Uh, the A's are in that tier as well. I think what you, when you start stretching is when you when you have to squint a lot to get a team in the playoffs at all. A good example of that would be the Angels. I know there's a lot of excitement about the Angels. They brought in Rendon. Uh, to me, you look at their pitching. Their pitching is still so weak. I think they've even had some injuries in camp. The, a, the, like, you know, the A's are going to have a hard time passing the Astros. The Angels are going to have a hard time passing the Astros and the A's. And to me, that's where you're outside of the realistic possibility. Sure, everything can could fall right for the Angels, but they've got to fall perfect. Whereas a team like the A's, the A's are a playoff-quality team, and I think if you are a playoff-quality team, you are a World Series-caliber team. Can you see a scenario where the Astros do fall off a little bit because of all the chaos surrounding them? Certainly. You know, I think we see this. I, you know, it, it will be interesting, too, because, of course, the Astros, their whole organizational thing is all built to say, nope, 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 nope. This is all about analytics, and this is all about so on and so on and whatnot. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we've got the skill. We, we've, we've got the, the best players, and that's going to be enough. But, you know, we have seen uh, very talented teams. Uh, things just go sideways on them. Uh, frankly, we've seen it. We saw it with the Nationals a couple of years ago. We've seen it and with the Mets with some good teams. The Cubs, I think, have had this kind of the last couple of years where clearly talented teams, arguably the most talented team in the division, things just went sideways on them. And I'll, put it, uh, I'll say this. If things go poorly at some point for the Astros this season, uh, you can see it cascading on them. I think that, that, that would be the concern. I still think they're, favor- they're the favorites because they have so much talent. But, you know, we all know that a baseball season is long, and a lot of this uh, really can come down to people can maybe make fun of clubhouse chemistry all you want. But I do – I understand that in a certain way, that a, a happy clubhouse uh, generally is a team that's winning. You know, I think the good players tend to be happier than the bad players. But I also think that there is bad mojo and there's bad vibes. And I think, you know, after a while, it, I mean, we saw this today with Altuve uh, going in, uh, going into bat and just getting booed like crazy. Altuve, who was very beloved in this game not very long ago, uh, that can't help but kind of weigh on a team as the, as the year goes along. It's probably already very exhausting for them, and they've played two preseason games. So uh, it's going to be a lot everywhere they go. Maybe they're able to kind of, 
circle the wagons and have the bunker mentality. And, and, uh, but that, that's hard for any team, uh, particularly when they've got someone like Dusty Baker, who is very well liked. I think he's had, uh, has been, uh, you know, has, I, has had his moments in the last few years. He's still a newcomer to the organization. You can see conflict between him and the front office and the way they run things, the way he runs things. They, uh, they do have the talent, but there's no question. This could get uh, – if it gets turned upside down, it's going to be hard to get back on track. I want to get your opinion on this because I went on a rant about this earlier because I got all these – you know, I, I'm still the guy old school that gets all the baseball magazines, and every one of these magazines has a story about this thing. I believe the biggest winner of the offseason – because of the Astros, is the baseball. The baseball was the story last season, and all of a sudden with Garrett Cole and the signings and then the Astros, no one's talking about the baseball anymore. But I put the important – it's the most important part of the game, right? It's like the football, the basketball, the puck. It's the most important piece of equipment. And the baseball, what kind of baseball are we going to have this year? Are we going to have the regular season baseball? Are we going to have the postseason baseball? Were they actually different? I don't think we have a whole lot of transparency on the ball. I'm really glad you brought up the postseason thing because, if, honestly, if we're going to talk scandals, I think maybe it could be a pretty big scandal that there were, it certainly appeared the way the ball was traveling. There were studies to this effect that the postseason ball seemed dramatically different than the regular season ball. That's very, very strange. I think we can all understand. I generally am one to give the benefit of the doubt for the regular season. Not so much that like they were trying to juice the ball, but you know, they did have a new process with the, with the kind of way they put the balls together. Maybe they did not anticipate or did not appreciate that the small, a small change made here or there would lead to these massive effects, the butterfly effect kind of idea. But then to see in the postseason where – Clearly, like, you know, this is a thing that everyone was watching. Like, the postseason is going to be interesting, but, like, if the ball is going out of the park the way it is, no one wants to see 18, 13 games in the postseason. There clearly seemed to be a difference in the postseason ball, and I think that it almost has gotten glossed over. To me, that's the part that's really gotten glossed over, is the idea that, like, it certainly appears like a change was made. And that, that feels to me worse than a ball that maybe was wound too tight or they're trying to juice the ball a little bit. The idea that then they could turn back the ball a little bit in the postseason, which, again, a lot of studies seem to make the argument that the ball was just not traveling as well, even regardless of the fact that the, the, the weather was colder. It, that's a concern to me. That, that is, that's a scale. But you're right. No one is talking about that at all. To be fair, most of the people, from my experience, that are really obsessed with the scandal are actually more kind of your drive-by sports baseball fans rather than your obsessive baseball fans. We were all fascinated by it at first, and I think it still has some interest. But most of the baseball fans I know are kind of like, okay, can we please talk about spring training and baseball now? I'd like to get back to that. And those are the people that tend to be more obsessed with the baseball and more kind of, and like noticed a lot of the changes that happened last year. All right, your article that's out today, we all love giveaways. Fans line up for giveaways <laughs> like you would believe. And if there was one giveaway, so you did the top giveaway for, for each team. If there was just one that I could have on this list, how would you not want the Bob Euchre talking bobblehead on June 28th? Yes, for me, uh, uh, you know, you know there, there, this is a new thing that's kind of come around with bobbleheads in the last few years is there's an audio component and you can hear like the, the player being called up to bat or you can hear like the crowd cheering for me. Like it would be, it feels like malpractice 
to have a Bob Euchre bobblehead that doesn't speak. <laughs> like, thank, thank goodness there's a Bob Euchre bobblehead that speaks. And, and to me, you know, I know obviously nationally speaking, where, you know, we all know, of course, from Major League, and then it's a bit outside and all kind of his funny phrases. But to me, you know, one of the great things about base, watching baseball and listening to baseball in the year 2020, anytime I want to hear Bob Euchre call, like, a regular baseball game for the Brewers, like, he's a funny guy and Mr. Belvedere and all of that, but, like, he's also, like, still a really good broadcaster and is out there every day for the Brewers. Uh, for me, it's, you know, one of those pure little pleasures that baseball gives you, uh, just the voices, you know, and there's not a lot of these guys left. People have been doing that for a long time uh, uh, to have, the pure pleasure of hearing Bob Euchre uh, not only call a Brewers game, but occasionally just throw in some story from the road when he was playing. It's uh, uh, To me, that, that is one of the most lovely things about baseball. It ties it through the generations. I can, my grandfather loved Bob Euchre, and I'm going to make sure my, my kids and their kids understand who Bob Euchre is. To me, there, there's not a lot of sports like that anymore, and that's pretty exciting. What's going on with the PR departments with the Astros, the Marlins, and the <laughs> Rockies? The season's about to start. What are you giving away? Yeah, listen, to be fair, and I, this, this will be the only way I will forgive the Astros on anything, the PR staff has been rather busy. So they have maybe not had time to work on that. And also, you know, you, like, I, I, they had to probably call back all those A.J. Hinch bobbleheads. And I don't think they're Jeff Luno bobbleheads, but certainly, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of changes they have to make. But and to me, the teams that didn't have it are the ones like the Astros or like the Marlins who, you know, um, to me, if you're a Marlins, if you're a Marlins PR person, you need to get your promotions out there because it's going to be hard to get people in the park otherwise. And I actually think the Marlins may be kind of interesting this year, but clearly they've had trouble drawing fans. To me, I'm a sucker. You're talking to someone that has a bobblehead wall. I confess it. I plead guilty. I apologize for nothing. I love these promotions. I that's a piece I write every year, and it's always one of my my favorite ones to get to do. Oh, last year I was with the ball club in Tampa, and they've got the Bobblehead Hall of Fame. And oh yeah, and they got the for the A's section. They got my man Ray Fossey as a catcher with his with his uh, helmet back, his catching helmet backwards. And I remember taking a picture, and Foss was up in the press box. I'm like, Foss, they got your bobblehead in the Hall of Fame, and he was all excited. Uh, I, I, I'm worried I'm not going to get my Nolan Arenado bobblehead with the Rockies this year. Yeah, certainly uh, that one may have to have an interchangeable hat uh, in a lot of ways. It also reminds me of one of my absolute favorite. Uh, bobbleheads of all time, which is the Jose Bautista bat flip bobblehead, which is the idea. They, of course, he has to swing in the bat, but then there's a separate part of the bobblehead where the bat is floating in midair. And I appreciate the innovation and the mechanics and the technology together. It's good to know that our bobblehead creators and architects are, uh, are thinking outside the box a little bit. No doubt. Hey, Will, we always love having you on. We love reading you. MLB.com. Be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Of course, anytime. Thanks, guys. Yeah, there's one giveaway I got to get. It's got to be the Brewers. That Bob Euchre talking bobblehead, that would be awesome. And we'll end with Martin Gallegos, who covers the athletics for MLB.com. We'll talk a little bit about second base, and we'll talk about the backup catcher and what's going on down there at spring training. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com joins us. How are you down there in the Valley of the Sun? What's up, Tony? I'm great. Uh, just uh, enjoying this weather that's starting to heat up here in Arizona. It's starting to feel like spring training a little bit more. A little, little muggy, a little, little cold, I should say, the, the first couple of days. But now, now it's starting to kick in, so it's nice. Yeah, the, the thing I, I was just talking about before you came on is like, you know, this spring training is so different because you pretty much know, other than second base, 
who the lineup and who the players are. Knock on wood, no one gets hurt. It's kind of nice that this is kind of the spring training where, hey, everybody just get ready to play, stay healthy, and go after it versus in past years. There's always been so many question marks all over the place. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just look at the last two springs. I mean, it seemed like they were coming in here trying to piece together a rotation, guys battling for, you know, fourth and fifth starter jobs and uh, really having to go based off spring training numbers to determine those type of uh, positions. And now, like you said, coming into this spring, uh, the biggest question mark is second base. And they've got some options that they feel pretty good about there. Um, you know, maybe a little battle for the backup catcher job. Nothing, nothing major. I mean, the spots are all filled. You know, they've got their guys in place that they feel are going to be key pieces to making a, a run at the division this season. That is correct. And you look at that second base job and you see Mateo, you see Barreto. Uh, I think those two guys, don't you think, will get the biggest looks, even though I saw Mateo played some shortstop because both those guys are out of options. Yeah, you know, they have to make a, a tough decision. They're going to have to make a tough decision regardless on some one of those guys at that position. Um, like you mentioned, they're both out of options. Mateo and, and Barreto will probably be playing a majority of games at second base and shortstop so they can get them more at-bats and see. Uh, really, it's a bit of a competition where, uh, you know, they have to look at the spring numbers. There's no other choice. Um, usually you don't want to put too much stock into that. The A's certainly don't do that too often, but um, if one of these guys goes off and starts in 300, 400, um, they're going to put themselves in a good position to win this job because you don't want to go into the season losing a guy like a Franklin Barreto or a Jorge Mateo without really knowing what they can do in the majors. You want to you want to give them at least a chance in the majors before you give up on them. And uh, you know if they if either of them go on waivers, it's pretty certain that one teams out there will snatch them up for sure. So you know when I. When I think about these two guys, if you had to get in the mind of Billy Bean or David Forrest, who do you think they they would want to win the job? You know, that's an interesting question there because with Mateo, you have this guy who's so electric. Um, it just seems like he can make things happen. He's one of the fastest, probably one of the fastest players in the sport. Um, you know, he's really fast. I um, mean, he can play multiple positions, not not unlike Franklin Barreto, who can also be a utility man and play uh, multiple positions. I would think, uh, you know, you, you've you spent so much time with Barreto being in your organization, being your number one guy for so long, prospect. Um, once you got him from the Josh, Josh Donaldson deal, he was that guy who was supposed to take over at second base eventually. He was blocked by Jed Lowry, blocked by Jerks and Profar. Now it's to the point where, um, you know, it's now or never if he's going to make an impact with the A's. So I would think you want to see what that guy who you've developed in your minor league system throughout his career, for most of it at least, uh, see what he can do in the majors once and for all with regular playing time, not just, you know, coming up for a couple of weeks and sitting on the bench for most of the time. You want to see what he could do with a full sample size in the majors. So we know that the Astros players, they're going to wear this thing for a long time. I think about Mike Fires. How long? I mean, he can sit there and say, "Hey, I just want to focus on 2020." But once he starts going from town to town, you know, Mike Fires changed baseball, and people are going to want to ask him, "How long do you think this goes with Mike Fires during the season?" You know, it's going to keep going on for a while. I think. I mean, you look at his start he made yesterday in in Arizona, and you know, the, the fans are certainly aware of his impact, um, you know, giving him a nice long ovation. People brought signs and all that in support of him um, at the A Stadium. And 
Um, you know, there's a number of national media writers there as well wanting to talk to him after the game. And um, It's going to be like that, I feel like, at least, uh, you know, early on in the season, every city he goes to. I mean, the first Oakland series he pitches in, I'm sure it's going to be filled with the guys from all around the country. Um, the, the series in Houston, I mean, I can only imagine how crazy that's going to be. And as it goes on, I mean, this, this isn't something that's going to just die out really quickly. Um, you know, he's, he's in the spotlight. Um, he's got the support of his team, which is important. Uh, his manager supports him. And, uh, you know, we'll see how he's received throughout baseball. Um, I think Houston's going to be kind of a, a interesting situation to see how that goes. But um, as far as other, other cities, you know, I, I, I think it'll be somewhat of a positive reaction. I think a lot of people feel like he did something good for the game. But, you know, whether it's good or bad, there's going to be a lot of attention surrounding him for sure. Well, I liked what Melvin said, where Melvin's like, hey, listen, if he doesn't say anything, where does this stop? When would it stop? And how much would it just continue to grow? Something had to happen. This was about to get out of control, just not in Houston, but all around baseball. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, this isn't just a clubhouse thing. I mean, this was going on throughout an organization, and if Mike didn't step up to the plate, you know, maybe we never find out about it. You know, you never know. It took somebody who was on that team in 2017 and knew exactly what was going on in terms of the system and all that to be able to explain everything and launch this investigation. So, um, you know, to, to say the snitch or whatever, I mean, it's to me, that's just, I mean, it's, 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 it's dumb to me, you know. He he did something good, I think, for baseball. And like like Bob said, I think in the long term, people are going to realize that you know he put a stop to something that was certainly unfair to the rest of the teams in baseball. And I've been thinking about Mike a lot. We I, I did a whole thing on it today about defending him, and also, you know, the question being asked, you know, who's the opening day starter? And Melvin, you know, hey, I could put a bunch of names in the hat and pick somebody. But, you know, I start to think about it, and I think about who's been the leader of the staff, who really was the rock of the staff last year. You know, they've lost two straight wild card games, and Mike Fires didn't pitch in either. I just – I get the feeling it's time to go, Mike, here's the ball, opening day, you're the guy, let's go, it's 2020. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at the rotation, how it's comprised right now. Certainly, Mike is that guy, the the guy who anchors that staff. He's the leader, the guy who certainly has the most experience with those guys. They've got you know really talented arms up and down it. You know, the two youngsters, um, Lizardo and Puck. Those guys aren't really, I think, opening day candidates yet. Maybe in the future, but um, really, you look at the three guys and Manaya, uh, Frankie Montas, and Mike Fires. Um, you know, Sean Manaya, you know, had a great last month last season, but um, you know, he's still, you know, I think, uh, you know, trying to, trying to, uh, you know, work on some things this spring that, you know, he's trying to improve. And Frankie Montas has a great arm as well. But again, the inexperience, I think, plays a factor there in terms of overall number of starts in the majors. Um, you know, Mike is no doubt the, uh, the leader of, of that staff for sure. And, uh, I think he's, he's got a pretty good chance to make that opening day start in Oakland against the Twins. When you start thinking about the bullpen, where's the big competition? I think it comes. It's really just the last couple spots there. Um, for the most part, you know who's going to be in your back end. You know, obviously Liam Hendricks is the closer, um, and you've got guys like Ismero Petit. Uh, you brought Jake Diekman back. Uh, these are your, you know, late inning guys. Um, like even a guy like T.J. McFarland, who they signed in the in the off season, was kind of a under the radar signing, but he's a lefty who's going to be relied on to 
get both lefties and righties out, ground ball guy who will probably come in the middle innings, you know, with the team ahead against, you know, other teams' tough left-handed bats. So he's going to be a big part of this thing as well. Um, and, you know, Lou Trevino had a, you know, a rough, you know, second season, but I think he's going to be given this chance at least early on to kind of redeem himself. He got off to kind of a slow start here in his first spring outing, but um, he's going to get a chance, I think, to, to rebound from, from a second, a bad second year after an amazing first season in the big league. So really it comes down to looking at guys like, you know, Chris Bass is probably going to be in there as well. I should mention it's looking at guys like JB Wendelkin um, and, uh, and all these other, other guys in camp, uh, kind of more veteran guys who, uh, you know, are going to be battling for that final spot in the bullpen. But for the, for the most part, it's, it's mostly set um, as far as, uh, you know, the the full what is the eight eight men in the in the bullpen and we start looking around some nagging injuries Piscotti with the rib uh chris davis with the calf where are we on these nagging injuries yeah well uh chris davis should be playing tomorrow uh he, he seems to be pretty uh healthy and ready to go the his his calf issue wasn't really anything major i think it was just more kind of you know easing them back into to play um just kind of just ma- minor maintenance stuff uh, with Piscotti, you know it's a little bit more of a question mark um he did say he hopes to play you know maybe sometime next week maybe maybe that series on the A's go to uh, las vegas over the weekend um but his issue is more uh, a rib issue that he, that came up uh earlier in camp so still kind of unknown there he has been taking part in batting practice and doing other you know, pregame activity, so it's not like he's completely shut down, um, but he has been playing in games, and he's going to be held out for a little bit longer. And then you got Sean Murphy as well, who is being eased back as well. He's been doing, you know, pretty much all activities, but I think they're going to hold off on playing him until March 2nd, um, which gives them a chance to kind of look at their other catchers, you know, on the roster, because they really don't have a, a backup catcher set in stone. You got Austin Allen, who came over from the Jerks and Profar trade, was the A's really like his bat, but um, you know his defense has been somewhat of an issue according to uh, scouts that you know I've talked to, and uh, they got a, a pretty good hitter in Jonah Heim, who had a really breakout year in the minors last year, and he's considered to have pretty good defense. So it's kind of a mini battle there for that backup catcher job, and Sean Murphy being out for this short period of time allows them to get a better look at those guys. Yeah, so many of these guys you just want to put in bubble wrap and make sure they're healthy for the start of the season, <laughs> right? And you actually did a piece on Jonah Heim on uh, OaklandAthletics.com. Yeah, you know, this is a guy who uh, really – it's it's interesting story. He's been traded twice already in his career. He's still, I think, only 24. So um, he's been traded a couple times, um, really, you know, moved up the system with the A's. Uh, really has always been considered defensively a superb catcher. Really, the bat was really his only concern. He had a breakout year last year in, in uh, double A and triple A, batted over 300, and uh, went to the Dominican Republic to play winter ball there. And he, I think he batted around 300 as well there in over 20 games. He was playing with Jorge Mateo uh, on that team that won the Caribbean Series. So um, he's, he's arrived to camp ready to go because that is probably ahead of, of a lot of the other hitters in camp. And, you know, he's battling for a spot. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Austin Allen gets that backup job. I think both of them have a shot here. And, you know, the A's love defense, and uh, he's, he's known to be a pretty good defensive catcher. And he's left-handed, so it could be, a, you know, kind of a platoon situation there with uh, Murphy and him as well. What's the number one thing you love about spring training? And it doesn't have to have to do anything with baseball. 
Uh, you know what? I think it's just traveling around um, Arizona. The, the, the ballparks are all pretty nice, man. There's a lot of really good ballparks out here, and, and finding good good food out here as well. Um, but um, you know, I, I like seeing the good ballparks out here as well. I mean, you got like Talking Stick is beautiful out in Scottsdale. You got uh, Camelback Ranch over in Glendale. The A's have a nice one at Ho'okam. Um, even the Cubs Park uh, in, in Mesa, Sloan Park. These are all really cool ballparks, and it's just cool watching big leaguers play uh, on, a, on a just a smaller scale where it just seems more personal for the fans, and then everyone is in attendance to kind of get up close and personal to their favorite players. Um, I know I have, you know, family and friends who come down sometimes, and they, I mean, it's it's an experience that you can't really get um, going to a major league game because, you know, you got, you got these big stadiums. When you get to see baseball in, in the smaller venues, I think there's something special about that for sure. Yeah, Arizona realized there's big money in spring training and all these new ballparks started opening up, and you're right, they're absolutely uh, beautiful. Are you going to be in Vegas for the uh, two-game series against the Tribe? Yeah, I'll be there at both games. I'm looking forward to that as well. The ballpark in Vegas looks awesome. I've heard great things about it. I know the A's minor leaguers always rave about it, so I'll be excited to see that firsthand for sure. All right, I will see you Saturday. I will be there in Vegas. Sounds good, Tony. We'll uh, meet up over there. All right, buddy. You take care. See you Saturday. All right, Tony. Thanks. See you soon. I want to thank Bill Ripken. I want to thank Ted Leitner, Will Leach, and Martin Gallegos for joining us on A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.